great things about the book of Proverbs, it is immensely practical in its wisdom. And I want to start off tonight by teaching you how to catch a bird. All right, did you notice that little proverb in the middle of Proverbs 1? Look at verse 17. Here's a little lesson. How to catch a bird. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. Bird catching is a little bit like playing a practical joke. If someone sees you laying the trap, they'll never walk into it. So you take that old school practical joke of the bucket of water above the door. If someone sees you putting the bucket there, will they walk through the door? Answer, no. Robin Turton's had that done before. No is the answer. If they see the trap set, what will they do? Okay, you're not very responsive tonight. If they see the trap set, what will they do? Avoid it. If the bird sees the snare laid, will it fly into the snare? No. It has a God-given instinct that will fly away. How useless it is to spread a net in full view of all the birds. If it sees the net, it will avoid the net. When it comes to the book of Proverbs, we saw the introduction last week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But the immediately preceding passage finds us in the combat zone of enticements. This book of Proverbs is wisdom for the pathway of enticement. Wisdom is proved in its attitude to temptation. This book is written for the sun in a world full of hidden nets. In whatever aspect of life that Proverbs is going to address, we thought of some last week, whether it is the sluggard on his bed or the wife who is nagging, or the man who speaks too loudly at breakfast, or the young man as he struggles with sexual temptation, every step of his path has the potential danger of a hidden net. And so in tonight's passage, both the compassionate father and the loud voice of wisdom combine forces to do this one thing. Expose the hidden nets. The father sits his son down. Wisdom screams from the street corners to reveal where the hidden nets are. Why? So that in pointing out the nets, the son may avoid the traps. He exposes the net to save the son. He brings it, as it were, into full view that the son might avoid them. He wants to render useless what could be fatal. How useless it is to spread a net in full view of all the birds. How useful it is to know exactly where the nets are. So we're going to walk through these two narratives, that of the father and that of the son, to see how they expose the net that the son might flee. So we hear first the advice of the father. And we're going to look here at verses 8 to 19. 
Here the Father speaks, exposing the net, as it were, exposing the enticement of how the Son might get caught in the trap. Uh, The temptation you'll see comes in verse 10. My Son, if sinners entice you. Maybe you're a father here tonight. Uh, Maybe a spiritual father to a younger Christian. What is part of your role? Well, the role of the father here is almost like that of a special ops uh, guy in an army. He takes the responsibility for his son's spiritual welfare as his responsibility. That is the role of fatherhood. And the love of fatherhood is seen in this education, this persuasiveness, this instruction that takes up the tactics of fatherhood, exposing these nets. And so he speaks to his son this shocking story. Uh, You should have been shocked by it. Who is the son in the story? He is a son of two godly parents. He has a father who is instructing him and a mother who is teaching him. Proverbs says, train a son in the way he should go and he will walk in it. But here we say that that is not a promise. It is more of a truism. It is not a guarantee. Two godly parents must be aware of the reality of the enticement of their son. Uh, What is the scenario that he draws up? My son, if they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for someone's blood. There is a reality that the, the son of these two godly parents could become a murderer of an innocent man. That is shocking, isn't it? But there is the power of enticement. That when the the cord of enticement finds unison with the heartstrings of a sinner, there lies a powerful danger. A son of godly parents could become the murderer of innocent blood. The father knows that the thrill of the chase, the prospect of easy money, in verse 13, and the enjoyment of being part of the gang is a powerful bait for a young man. Uh, you know in the story of the Bible that often God calls himself the father of his people Israel. And of course God is the perfect father. But Israel is prone to temptation. And Israel becomes a disobedient son. Rebellious in all his ways. The father knows the power of temptation. It is a shocking story, but Solomon knows. Uh, you look at verse 1 of Proverbs, Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. You could put in parenthesis there, son of David, son of Bathsheba. You want to see the power of temptation? You want to see the king of Israel who stumbled in the enticement of his own sin. Remember the story? Here is a woman bathing on a rooftop that becomes the lust of a man's heart, that becomes a woman in his bed, that becomes a baby in her womb, 
that becomes a plot to deceive her husband, which becomes a trap set on the battlefield, which becomes a dead body in a tomb, but becomes the very thing that ensnares David himself. The power of temptation for the nature of a sinner is strong. There is a net, and the bait is very alluring. And so the father sits his son down. It's a little bit like, I guess, the father who says to his son before he goes to Freshers Week at Edinburgh University, let's take a seat. Let's chat this out. There is going to be enticement. There is going to be temptation. And my son, let's chat this through. With all the love of a father, with something of the roar of a lion, but also mimicking the enticement and the craftiness of a sinner. He knows that the promise of excitement conceals a net. The comfort that is promised disguises slavery, and the life that is promised actually fast-tracks death. Do you see the reality behind their enticement? Verse 16, these people rush into sin. Again, verse 16, they're swift, shed blood. Verse 18, they waylay only themselves. Verse 19, it takes away their very lives. It is fatal. And sin here is actually suicidal. It is self-deceptive as well as self-destructive. So what is the father's advice to his son? Well, wonderfully back, black and white. Have a look with me. Verse 10. What does he simply say to his son? My son, if sinners entice you, don't give in. What else does he say? Verse 6, uh, verse 15. My son, don't go along with them. Again, my son, do not set foot on their paths. Knowing the power of temptation and the allurement of the bait, what is his black and white advice? Don't give in. Don't go along. Don't go anywhere near it. The father knows that the first step onto the pathway of folly is rarely the only step along that path. That the pathway of folly is a downhill slope. And then when you set that boulder rolling, it is very hard to stop it. Folly, sin, is like that first crisp in a box of Pringles. That when you pop, it is very hard to stop. And the father knows that. So what does he say? My son, don't. Don't flirt with the net. Flee it. Don't examine the enticement. Flee it. Don't experiment with their addiction. Flee it. He wants to put the net in their full view that they might see it then in their rear view because they are fleeing so fast from it. My son, don't go near. Don't flirt with it. Flee it. Now this is 
Christian, your heavenly Father speaking to you. As you leave tonight, as you enter the everyday and the mundane and the very practical this week, where are your enticements? What are the voices that are going to be saying, come along with us? What is your bait? And listen to your heavenly Father when he says, don't give in, don't go along, don't set foot on their path. Um, what does it look like? It probably doesn't mean that you click that mouse or you type that word into the search engine or you buy that magazine or you download that app or you rent that movie or you tell that lie. The Father says, don't. Don't go near. All you do is you take that first step is that you stoke the fire and you awaken the giant and you unleash the appetite and you feed the beast that only wants more. Don't. It is a boulder that rolls downhill. Uh, maybe it's uh, the woman with the romantic novels on the bus that sets the boulder rolling that in the end brings a massive discontentment in her own marriage and breeds the thoughts of divorce. Maybe it's the young man who's flicking through that girl's Facebook page photos that starts the boulder rolling to harder images and maybe even the physical acts. Maybe it's that one white lie that the guy in the graduate job tells to complete and secure that first deal that sets the boulder rolling for a career that is a house of cards built on deceit that is heading towards maybe even tax fraud or anything else. Maybe it's that one drink after a hard day that sets that boulder rolling towards every day commencing with the need for a drink. Maybe it's uh, that one girl who has that thought of envying her friend's figure that sets that boulder rolling to think actually self-harm and controlling every aspect of my life, including my eating, is the only way that I can survive this life. Maybe it's the university fresher who comes from their home church with all the enthusiasm to stand for Jesus and yet the peer pressure to go out on that first night out is so strong that it sets the ball rolling downhill so that by the time she leaves university, he leaves university, they are indistinguishable from the crowd and called to church, friends and fellowship. What does the voice of the father say? My son, my daughter, don't give in. Don't go along. Don't set foot on their path. Get the trap in full view that you might see it in your rear view. Because the temptation is powerful and the end is catastrophic. Fear God, see the net, and flee it. Now, the father speaks to his son. 
But as you hit verse 20, what has happened is it's almost like we have been taken forward in time. It's almost like the father is speaking to the fresher just before he enters Edinburgh University and he has a quiet chat. Wisdom is not in the front room of the family home, but is standing on the street corner. And she is screaming aloud amid the busyness of the city streets. And rather than exposing uh, the enticement, woman wisdom exposes the end. She shows not how you get caught in the net, but how hard it is to get out. If we can move on to the next slide. Here's woman wisdom exposing the net, how hard it is to escape. Uh, Verses 20 to 31 have an edge to them. I don't know if you noticed that. Where is woman wisdom? She's calling aloud in the street. She's raising her voice. She's at the head of the noisy street. She's in the gateway. She's making her speech. Not very ladylike. But here she is shouting. She's banging the pulpit. Listen, she says. Why? Verse 22. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? The first step on the pathway of folly has now become the person's first love. Here in this second narrative, we have the person who refused to, look, looked at, refused to listen to the Father, who set foot upon the path of fool, foolish, uh, foolishness, and now loves that foolishness. Look at verse uh, 22, second half. Where the father said, don't, they now delight in mockery. Where they used to listen to the knowledge of the father, they now hate it. Sin has a hardening effect. Sin has a deafening effect. Foolishness has a blinding effect that will desensitize someone to the voice of the Father. Uh, They no longer hear. They no longer listen. Even as wisdom shouts, they do not respond. From the fresher to the fourth year, they have grown cold. Experiment has turned to addiction, and foolishness has bred a hardness of heart. Why does woman wisdom speak in this way in Proverbs 1? She wants to add her message, combine forces with the Father to say, not only listen, but listen now, my son. Listen now. Because there may be a time when it is too late. Here's the edginess of Proverbs. Have a look at verse 24. Since you rejected me when I called, no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. Since you ignored and would not accept my rebuke, I will turn and laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Down to verse 28. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look to me, but they will not find me prayer that was once powerful 
is now impotent. Because when they come to listen, they listen too late. They have been hardened to the Father's voice and they receive the fruit of that hardness. God will not listen to their cry. The picture is that foolishness brings God's eternal judgment. So wisdom says, I will not listen. I will not respond. What is the urgent message for you tonight? Listen now. It must not be the decision or the response of tomorrow. Wisdom cries out loudly, how long will you love your simplicity? The message is, listen now. Sin hardens, it deafens, it blinds, it desensitizes. And God can hand us over to our sin. What does he say? Listen now, my son. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond. Listen before it is too late. How often do we treat sin lightly? How often do we consider those who deal vigilantly with sin as legalistic or fundamentalist? Actually, the Bible says, don't go near, don't step foot on their path, flee, listen now. There are lots of people, not just King David, who set foot on the path and it led to ensnared, led to enslavery. Some were not as fortunate as King David to be brought to repentance. Do you remember Haman? If you don't know the story of Esther, worth a read. But here is this man who pursued prestige and honor and it led to his own death on his own gallows. Do you remember Judas? Fueled with a love for money and the pursuit of a purse that he would deceive and betray Jesus Christ for the small fee. Listen now, the Father says. Listen now, wisdom cries. It only brings destruction if we delay. Uh, The promises in this chapter of folly are empty. But to finish, I want to show you the promises of wisdom that are full. They bookend the section. Go back to verse 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. How on earth do you negotiate the path of wisdom this week when the ensnarement of nets are hidden from your sight? You listen now to wisdom. These garments, these garlands, these chains were reserved in Egyptian in the, uh, the culture of Egypt for triumphant kings off the back of a battle. It was for the, the high of the high 
to receive these adornments of splendor. Do you know what Solomon says? A little child in Israel can have the same bling as a king in Egypt if he listens to my voice. The same bling of triumph to help you negotiate this path strewn with nets that would bring destruction. It is great that as you read this chapter of Proverbs, you cannot help but see the Lord Jesus Christ. Our wisdom is where she is busy in the streets rubbing shoulders with the foolish and the mockers. Uh, Like Jesus, she's come down into the hubbub of the everyday. And she stretches out her hands just as he would extend his wisdom to the masses. And yet the reality is that as he proclaimed this wisdom, the masses hated him. And he was the innocent blood whose arms were stretched out on a tree. But here is this Jesus, this wise one, who in that humility knows the enticement of temptation, but triumphed. And he knows the power of temptation. And so he not only guides you through it, but he can be the one who brings success in it. But he knows the power of temptation as he dies upon the cross, where he suffers not only the temptation, but the consequences of those who give into it. I'm not the wise son who has always heeded the counsel of my father and the counsel of women wisdom. And yet he extends his hand to me. He says, let me be the one who dies for your foolishness and who lives that you might live and guide you through this life on the path of triumph through these enticing trials. The question Proverbs asks us tonight, will you listen? And will you listen now? Can I encourage you to take time to respond to God's word? Uh, next screen, we'll bring uh, two screens actually, if you flick on. Uh, David, thank you. Uh, can I encourage you to take some time? Take one of these passages now um, and use these to respond to God's word in Proverbs. Uh, Deuteronomy sets out the options life or death. Uh, Psalm 2. The wisdom of honoring Jesus so that he doesn't laugh at your destruction. Psalm 57, the one that we can find refuge in, knowing that he is the wise one. Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Matthew 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, listen and listen Now, let's take time, uh, pick one of these, give you a couple of minutes to read it, a couple of minutes to respond in private prayer, reflection, and then we'll continue to apply as we sing God's praises.